Mm. Oh, I love you, God. I thank you that you're deeper than the deepest ocean. You're higher than the highest peak. You're, you're more broad than the east is from the west. God, you are the definition of, of wholeness. God, thank you that, that you invite us into personal relationship with you. And as complex and as deep and as rich as, as you are, God, you, you guide us on a path to simplify, to understand at whatever level we are, who you are. Even if it just comes down to one name, even if it comes down to the name of Jesus. God, help us, would you, to open our hearts and our minds. When I'm thinking of our backpackers, even to open our eyes, God, and to see you in creation. But God, for those of us who will go out these doors in a few moments into a city that desperately needs to know you, a city like the Taylor and Hawkins family that might be reeling God from from tragedy and from brokenness and from pain. God, please allow us to somehow speak into that world, the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for this lifelong journey. Every time we think, oh, it can't get any better than this, the mountains can't be any higher than this. We realize we're just on the foothills of, of who you are. We're, we're just on the front range, and you have so much more for us. So God, as we pause on this Lord's Day and gather together to seek your face, I, I just pray in, in, in Jesus' name that you would wash over us. So forgive us our sins, God. There's so many. Forgive us our pride. Somehow thinking that at some point we would conquer this and, and, and Christianity would be easy. But God, there's always more of you. Every, every time we drink deep of you, you, you satiate us. And, and then at the same very same time, salt our thirst for more. We want more of you, God. We want to meet you in this place and in this time. And then we want to represent you in a, in a way that the world can understand how great the Father's love is. So, wash over us now with your Holy Spirit. Wash away the brokenness and the pain. Give us wave after wave, God, of your peace. Open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. As we look at a very familiar passage today, God, I just pray that having grown since the last time I studied it, having, having worshipped since the last time we encouraged one another with it together, God, that you would speak in a fresh way to us. And God, I thank you that things are always new with you. And yet at the very same time, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So 
so we confess that we find comfort in coming to you with the words that our Savior taught us. Saying together, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles, however you do that? Um, Would you uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? And we're going to just pick up three verses today to try and set a foundation for um, the coming seven weeks or so. Three uh, very familiar verses that come up in several different contexts in the four Gospels, but um, three powerful verses that can absolutely change our life. While you're turning to Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 28, I just want to remind you, each of the gospel writers intentionally told the stories of Jesus that they told in the order that they told them. And each one was trying to present a, a unique picture of Jesus that that will touch us and transform us. But I just, I could not resist the temptation to go back um, two verses. Uh, Jesus has been rejoicing. He has sent the disciples out there. He sent them out two by two. And he gave them power to proclaim the gospel. He gave them power to heal the sick. He gave them power to cast out demons. Right? He, he gave them his power. They were to truly represent him. And probably like you or me, when he charged them with that, they, they probably said, Who, Jesus, do you think I am? Right? Because the me I think I am, there's no way in the world I could do that. But what's much more important than who I think I am is who God thinks I am. Amen? Who Jesus says I am. And so when they came back, they had incredible stories. I have to confess, that's part of my joy and in coming together in worship to hear the stories of what God is doing in you, but also through you, right? And I know it's really hard to do that in a large group setting, so I'm so blessed that we have these opportunities, five or six small groups where you can tell your story. You can say, stop the truck, you know, I want want to tell you about my Jesus, right? And what he did this last week. But I'm so touched. He said... When they came back and he heard the stories, he said, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Isn't that cool? Right? He was, he was not there. Well, that's not true. He was there through them. And, and strongholds fell, right? And so they were rejoicing together. But then he has this last little reflection. I'm just going to do it from memory if I can here. But he said, blessed are your eyes, Right? What you see, prophets have longed to see what you see. And it was denied them. But God has entrusted that to you. 
And right about now you're thinking, well, that's just these 12 disciples, right? Because they were like super people. No, they were exactly like us. Exactly like us. Beloved, blessed are the eyes who see what we see. Blessed are the hands that right here can open God's word, right? And access the entirety of who God is. And with that, with that context that Jesus shared with his disciples then, I want to I take the next verse with you, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to go all the way to 29. It might not be on the slides. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Wow. Saying, Rabbi or teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, remember we've seen so often, haven't we, that Jesus refused to get drawn into a trap, and oftentimes he would ask a question to point out the true motivation of the person who was asking him. Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? Remember, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer, right? Um, what's written in the law? How do you read it? How do you read it? And the man answered, and this is totally me, but I could almost feel the pride in his voice. Maybe, just maybe that's what he wanted. He wanted to show off his, his knowledge. He said, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your strength and with all your might. Now, this is the Greek translation of the Shema, which we've studied extensively from Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? I think it's 6, 4 or 5. Um, this was the thing that got people up in the morning. When they rose in the morning, they would quote those very words. When they laid their heads down at night, they would quote those very words, right? So these are, these are words that have sustained God's people for 3,000 years, right? And, and, and the man's question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and his source was love. Love of God and love for God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then uh, I googled this extensively. I could not find a place. Maybe one of you could help me. I could not find a place before Jesus where, where they had put Leviticus 19.18 with it. Right. So so he said the Shema and everybody goes, yes, yes. And then the lawyer. Says now, maybe he was quoting Jesus from an earlier teaching. They did not have mass media media. Jesus taught this many times. Maybe he was quoting Jesus. But he said, and the second is like unto it. Right. Love your neighbor. As yourself. Right. Wow. Right answer. Right answer. Totally, totally cool, right? But listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Oops. Uh, This may be just me, but it strikes me that if he said do this, it implied that the man wasn't doing it, right? It's not enough 
beloved, for us to just intellectually give assent to the truths of God. At some point, Jesus reiterated this many ways, many times. At some point, we have to put it into practice. Do this, Jesus said to him, and you will live. You're not doing it, and you're not alive. You're not alive. Chad's going to help us immensely with this next week. But I wanted to go one more verse into this just so you can see um, the man's dodge. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The very word of God. Mm. God, thank you so much for your word that it never returns to you void. Call out to you, God. I cry out. Do that miracle again. Uh, through your Holy Spirit, where words on a page become life. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be an acceptable offering in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I just want to remind you of a teaching from, my gosh, first major time, I think it was 2016. We came back in 2017, looked at that again. It was right at the time when, when God, through His Holy Spirit, was stirring in us things that would result in our move to the city, toward the city, from the suburbs, uh, that would result in our being in this room right now. It was the sincere desire to put God's Word into practice that, that, that was stirring in uh, your elders, that was stirring in us as a congregation in 2016 and 2017. But we noted then something that I just want to remind you of. These are two very powerful questions both coming from the lawyer who wasn't putting God's Word into practice, with all his knowledge he wasn't putting it into practice, and secondly, he was not alive to God, right? And so they can be very good questions and still be the wrong questions, right? Did you catch what he said? And I tried to emphasize it in, in, in your notes. What must I do, right, to inherit... Eternal life. Now, there's an implicit problem already because when you inherit something, it's not anything that you did. It's something that somebody else did, right? And so, um, so I'm, I'm beating up on this, on this lawyer, and um, I'm hoping my sister's not watching who's a lawyer, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm beating up on him, but, but he's just like me, right? He's just like me. What must I do to inherit, you can't do anything. It has to be done for you, for you to inherit, right? And, and if you hear nothing else today, understand, as much as I'm going to call you to engage your neighbors for the kingdom of God, you don't do that to, to inherit eternal life. You don't do that, a, a work to somehow earn God's favor. No, we do everything that we do out of a love response for what God has already done for us, right? God has already redeemed us. You are already, through faith in Jesus Christ, a child of God, right? And, and, and you cannot be more loved of God 
than you are right now. So it's not about earning somehow his favor. It's about, about wanting to be like him and, and, and responding to that favor by doing what he would do if he was here in the flesh. So there's a fundamental problem with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Really, the question is, how can I save myself? And the answer to that is you can't save yourself, right? You cannot save yourself. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. But boy, the world always supplies answers even to wrong questions, right? Three, three common answers to what must I do to inherit eternal life are just be yourself, right? Just be yourself. For, for a century, that was the mantra. For a century, that was the plan, right? If, if you just be yourself, you're basically good and, and everything will work out, right? Well, how did that work out for us? That century was one of the bloodiest and goriest in human history, right? Um, no, if, if we're left to our own, how, well, how did Paul put it? There are none righteous, right? No, not one, right? There are none righteous. If you just be yourself, this is going to fall apart at some point. That's why every time I encounter someone just really going through a trauma or, or a, a tragedy, there's not one ounce of judgment over that, right? Because that is me, right? That is me. I may not be addicted to what they are addicted to, but I'm addicted um, uh, you know, I may not have the same problems, but left to my own devices, I will, I will stumble and I will fall hard. I have and will. And the only thing, thinking now of Proverbs 24, the only thing that gets me back up is knowing that Jesus is there. Like, like Peter beginning to drown in the Sea of Galilee, a hand reaches out and says, this isn't about your ability to walk on water. This is about me and who you can be in me. He pulls me back up. The proverb I'm thinking of, and I'm going to misquote it, but it's Proverbs something like 24:19 is, um, the wicked fall down six times, right? Six is that biblical number for incompleteness. They just keep falling down. They keep falling down. But the righteous crawl back up, right? They get back up a seventh time. They get back up. This is not about judgment or condemnation or anything. We're all in the same boat. But it doesn't help us for someone to say, just be yourself, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? Another, another common answer, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life is, is well, well just, just be right. Find enough truth, right? And that's exactly where this guy was. He knew all the right answers. If I'm correct, even, even the incredible mashing of, of Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and, and Leviticus, but love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had taught the second is like the first. Holy cow, that was an incredible uh, concept for the Hebrew people that, that Jesus would elevate loving your neighbor to equal to loving God, right? Of course, we know now looking back on it that you can't say that you love God without loving your neighbor. First John 4, right? You can't do that. Um, but, but they didn't 
they didn't at that time. So, so this, this man is incredibly right. He's incredibly right. And there's only one thing worse than being wrong, isn't there? And it's being right, right? If somehow in your self-righteousness, you step on people, right? And destroy people. So a common answer is just be right, right? No. No, that doesn't work either. Well, well, be good, right? A third answer, be good. Just be good. <laughs> I'm convicted because I say that to people all the time. It's kind of like my goodbye. Be good, right? I find myself when I'm marketplace chaplain, and I find myself saying that to, to people. Be good. <laughs> you can't be good, right? In Matthew's version of this, of this very same story, either there's two lawyers or it's the same story, um, in Matthew, um, the, the lawyer says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus calls him out. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Right, right there in Matthew's account of the story, right there, the man has an opportunity. Jesus just said, I am God. I, I, I struggle. I look back for the abortion team. They're not there. Um, I, I sometimes when I'm, I'm hanging in the breeze, I look back for moral support from them. But I struggle. I struggle sometimes, right, to uh, to overcome uh, uh, the self condemnation, right, that comes from realizing who I really am. But the solution is not just to say, "Be good," right, because no one is good. But God is God alone. And right there, the man had incredible opportunity to discover that God was standing in front of him. Mm, my goodness. So there's lots of answers to the man's question, but I will say this over and over again. If you ask the wrong question, you'll get the wrong answer, right? So... It doesn't help to be yourself, and I put in parentheses to be bad, right, because they're an unrighteous. It doesn't help to be right. It does not even help to be good because there's no one who's good but, but God alone. So, so is there an answer to this question? Yes. The answer is you can't. You can't do this, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You can't do anything to inherit eternal life. But if instead you're humble enough, if instead you're desperate enough to ask the question, how can I be saved? Then Jesus does have an answer. Jesus is the answer. It's not be yourself. It's not be bad. It's not be right. It's not even be good. Um, There are Three better answers, and they're right here for us in, uh, in the Shema, in what we call the New Testament, we call the Great Commandment, right? The three better answers are love the Lord your God, right? And we're reading it in the New Testament, probably written in Greek, um, but in the Old Testament, oftentimes that generic word, Lord, um, was substituted for the very personal name of God, uh, love Yahweh, 
your God, right? Love Yahweh. How can a broken human being like me love Yahweh, my God, right? Well, he gives us the answer here. Now, this is going to be, um, oof, this is going to be messy because um, when you change languages, then sometimes you have to change metaphors, even words that you use. And Jesus probably said uh, the original um, answer right here in Aramaic or Hebrew because he was talking to a Jewish lawyer. And, uh, but those words don't translate directly into Greek. So it is completely worthy to say with all your heart. Now, we're not talking about the organ here that's jumping out of my chest right now. Um, uh, we're not talking about, we're talking about your will, right? With the heart in the Bible is the center of your will. With the decisions that you make, you love the Lord your God. I'll catch up with your notes in just a second. Um, uh, in Greek, it's totally appropriate to say with all your soul, right? Uh, in Greek now, the soul is the essence of who you are. Um, your body may pass away, but your soul lives forever. And, and so it's totally appropriate to translate it that way as we see it in the New Testament. Uh, they include in the, in, in the Greek, they include mind. They include mind as well. Uh, just this morning... Um, uh, a, a brother sent me a, a text. I snapped a picture of it. Um, it was a quote from R.C. Sproul. Um, because uh, people will tell you that in order to follow Jesus, you need to um, lose your mind. You need to give up your intellect, right? I, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've run into that. You get this knowing look. Like, you know, if you had a mind... You would never um, trust in uh, this apparition that we call a God or Jesus, right? Well, R.C. Sproul nails it. He nails it. He says, you don't have to give up your intellect to trust the Bible. You don't have to give up your mind to trust the Bible. You have to give up your pride. You have to give up your pride. Is that nailing it or what? And for this guy, um, that was a huge obstacle. The Greek translation of it as well uh, talks about with all your strength, with all your strength. And I did, um, uh, and and I, I I just I can't I can't do this other than just don't take any pictures. Uh, right? Uh, not eh, right. Um, how passionate are you about loving God? Right? Are you passionate about it with all your mind? Well, well, th- that's totally, totally um, valuable and worthwhile to do that from the Greek perspective, which is slightly different. Greek is linear. Um, Hebrew is circular. This, the, the, the original language, I think, when it speaks, when it answers this question, love the Lord your God with, uh, it says, with everything you are. Everything you are. And, and, and you oftentimes hear me say the expression, yet unsurrendered, the areas of our lives that are yet unsurrendered. In other words, not everything I am has been surrendered to Jesus. I might have surrendered between 9 and 10 o'clock on Sunday morning to Jesus, right? But, but, but that's not everything I am. And I'm so grateful. I was just praying this with someone this week. Um, 
um, that God does not reveal the magnitude of my brokenness to me all at once. After 50 years now, is that right, of following Jesus, he's still revealing areas of my life that are yet unsurrendered to him. But I'm so grateful that he didn't do it all at once. I would be curled up in the fetal position sucking my thumb if he had, right? Um, so so um, Jesus has, uh, the, this lawyer actually answers correctly in Hebrew, love the Lord your God with everything you are. And then he uses, I'm looking for Jordan back here, he uses a Hebrew concept called nefesh, which probably most literally translates throat, but it's a reflection of Jesus' later teaching, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so there is an application here, I think, that would be worthy of our attention, not only with everything you are, but also everything you say, right? Everything that comes out of your throat is a reflection of who you are. So not only with everything you are, but with everything you say. And then, and then the translation, the Hebrew concept uh, is, is not so much grunting it out, willing something to happen, but everything you do, everything you do. And beloved, we live in an in a age where there are more temptations available. I took it out of my pocket, but it's right there on the pew next to me. There are more temptations available to right now. It's really easy. Am I the only one who, who thinks, oh, I'm going to look this up. I pick up my phone. I open it, and something flashes on there, and seven minutes later I realize I forgot what I went to the phone for, right? It's not just old age. I think it's also there's so many vulnerabilities, right? Um, so so um, all the way back to Moses and Deuteronomy calls out to us, love God with everything you are, with everything you say, with everything you do as well, right? A better answer than be yourself or be good or be right, right? Love God. But here's, here's the tricky part. I'm going to take them out of order because we, we rattle that off. And I have to be honest, when I say the Shema, I, what strikes me is loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It doesn't strike me about how important loving myself is, right? Part of that is because I'm very good at loving myself. If I want to feed me, I stand up and go to the fridge, right? If I, it, I, I take very good care of myself. And so it's not inappropriate to emphasize loving God rather than loving yourself. Here's the, tick, here's the trick, right? Can we really? That wasn't me this time, you guys. Okay, I'm, I'm, She's doing that just so I feel better about myself. Um, how Jesus is, or God is, is telling us, can we really love our neighbors if we don't love ourselves? Do not hear in that. Put loving your neighbors on hold until you completely love yourself, right? Um, again, most of us uh, love ourselves. We just love ourselves badly uh, from a human perspective rather than from a divine one. And, and how, if I could give one sentence, how can we love ourselves in a way um, that reflects 
who we really are in God, I would just I would suggest you see yourself the way you already wrote this in, didn't you? See yourself the way God sees you, right? See yourself the way God sees you. I think back to so many over these years, so many premaritals where we're looking at at um, Ephesians 5 and that uh, mystery that is uh, a husband and a wife uh, that's intimately tied up with Christ and the church. And one of the encouragements that I give the couples, the, the secret to being able to um, submit to one another is to see one another as God sees that person, right? And then I then I give them a couple gentle reminders about how God sees their husband or their wife, right? It's not putting on rose-colored lenses and denying something that's there. It's just seen through, right? It's seen through the human brokenness at the child of God that is before you. And if you can see your spouse as as God sees them, uh, then all those other things go away, right? Um, all the petty competitiveness, emotional and sometimes physical, uh, the, all those things go away in light of the child of God that is before you. So I just want to invite you to do the same thing. Uh, look at yourself the way that God looks at you. And... and um, and when you start to accept yourself the way God accepts you, then you have something to offer your neighbor, right? Then, then you have, uh, you, you'll never do it perfectly until you stand before Jesus. Isn't that going to be a glorious day? And he looks at you and he says, be glorified, Joe. Be glorified, right? And all the brokenness, all the pain goes away. Um, we're not going to be there until that day, until that day, except by faith, right? Um, but when you start to look at yourself as God looks at you right now, then you have something to offer the third dimension, right? Love your neighbor as you do yourself. If you love your neighbor and, and in the way, and you don't love yourself and don't see yourself as God sees you, you're going to treat your neighbor very badly, right? But if you can receive that precious gift we were singing about, the gift of, of love that God gives you, then you will have something to offer. Worship team, come on up if you would. Um, let me just say the man came back. He was cornered, right? He recognized. He was so proud of his answer. He didn't realize that his life didn't reflect the answer. And so most scholars think that, that he threw up another diversion, right? Uh, define neighbor, right? Um, who is my neighbor? And, and Chad is going to help us explore Jesus' incredible answer to that next week. But let me, let me just um, summarize for a second. Again, if you ask the wrong question, you'll get the wrong answer. It doesn't help by asking another wrong question. The question is not who is my neighbor. There's a very simple answer to that. Everyone you encounter, Right? Everyone you encounter. But the better question is not who is my neighbor, but what must I do to be a good neighbor? And that's what we're going to spend the next seven weeks on. What must I do to be a good neighbor? For today, I just want to uh, give a quick challenge, and then I'll try and tie this up in a bow here. 
um, um, identify your neighbors. And I want to, when we went through this in 2016, um, we focused so much on our physical neighbors that a lot of people couldn't relate because for whatever their context was, they didn't have an opportunity to be in relationship with those around them. But for some of us, it is it is geography. It's geographical where you live. It might be a physical neighbor, a landlord, a roommate, somebody who lives in proximity to you. Um, uh, let me just say, I didn't put it in the notes. I should have. If you would just write in your notes right here, uh, blessthishome.com. For some reason, that's not sounding right to me. If it, if it comes to somebody, correct me. Um, pardon me? Thank you. Blesseveryhome.com. You can put in your address. It will pull up as many as you tell it to. I pull up 50 of my neighbors so that when I'm walking in my neighborhood, I can I can actually pull it up on my phone and know that Mary lives there and and Fred lives there. Um, So if that's if that's the place that God is calling you to impact, if that's your neighborhood, then um, uh, blesseveryhome.com will be an amazing tool to help you do it. But for many of us, um, we don't have the opportunity to impact our neighbors around us. We, but we do spend 40 hours a week with people, right? Uh, uh, I sort of so delighted in the marketplace chaplaining. I, I can go where people spend 40 hours a week and, and impact them for the kingdom of God. So vocational, where you work, for many of us, we're retired or on our way to retirement or something like that. It, it's not just where you work or work, but but also where you go to do business, where you shop, right? Where you shop. I've shared with you before, Kristen has an amazing impact on the little grocery store right next to us. She knows them all by name um, because she shops there on a regular basis, probably on her way to and from work. And so there's six or seven people there uh, at at the store that she can have a relationship with. That's her. That's a neighborhood that that she has. Um, think about your vocational neighborhood. Think about your spiritual neighbors. You might be in a situation where the only in, uh, encountering you have with other people is here at worship. Right? Awesome, awesome. How can you be a good neighbor to the people that you worship with? Or for many of us who have unique callings to particular mission fields, the people that you're called to serve. Uh, if you worship with us here, we're, we're asking God to have an incredible impact on the Vogel neighborhood around us, right? But, but many of you have incredible impact through Potter's Wheel or, or through Kairos Prison and Jail Ministries. Your neighborhood might be one of those things. For some of us, it's where you play. I play racquetball, right? Um, God has given me about eight guys that I, I see almost every week. Um, uh, wow, that's a mission field. That's a neighborhood for me. For you, it might be the coffee shop you go to. I'm not naming names or anything, but I think Jordan's in personal relationship with the Honeymoon Cafe people over there. Um, it might be a gem buddy. It might be um, the bus driver who takes you here and there. So, so think, first of all, about the neighborhood that God is calling you to. And if you're at a loss right now, just say, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to engage? Where do you want, even for these eight weeks, if that makes it a little easier for you to say, God, we're going to be talking about neighbors. Where do you want me to 
engage for these eight weeks so that I can put your word into practice. Do this and you will live, right? Um, and so then, real quickly, write down the names of people that come to your mind, right? Um, I put five, uh, whatever your capacity is for relationships, write down a few names and then ask yourself, how well do you know these neighbors? For each name that God gives you, write one factual thing about them. Well, my neighbor across the street is a retired police officer, right? That's a factual thing. But write down one personal thing that you know about them as well. And you might be saying, well, I don't know anything personal about them. Well, hello, um, go introduce yourself, right? Go, go share who you are so they, they're comfortable sharing who they are. And then, and then share that with your small group. Share that with your prayer partner. Share that with your spiritual confidant, right? Talk together. Which neighborhood did you identify? In, in the neighborhood that you chose, which neighbors do you know the most? Which ones do you want to be held accountable for, for walking across the room or across the street or across the office? Ask yourself, what barriers are arising, right, to your impact in this neighborhood for the kingdom of God? Ask yourself why. Remember, remember uh, R.C. Sproul's thing? Is it my pride, God, that's keeping me from impacting my neighborhood? And lastly, I just, I just want to give you a challenge. Choose someone from your list. Someone, I would, I would encourage someone that you don't know well, right? Commit to engaging with them differently this week. Ask yourself, what will the next steps look like? How can I break the barriers that they will throw up like this lawyer threw up? How can I break through the barriers that are keeping this person from doing what we were doing just a few moments ago? From speaking the name which is above every name. The name which... When it's just spoken, right? Just spoken. Demons fall from heaven like lightning. When it's just spoken, right? Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth bows, right? Maybe, just maybe, this one person that you identify this week will come to that place where they could speak in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit just goose to me right now. That maybe you, maybe you need to speak the name of Jesus. And it's not, it's not like a magical mantra. But if your pride has kept you from just calling on the name of Jesus, say, say right now, God, if you're out there, if you exist, if 3,000 years of human history is true here and, and they're pointing to you, God, then let me 